making our way through one of the most recited passages in all of the Bible. First uh, Corinthians 13 is often, in fact, most of the time used in wedding ceremonies. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a bit of a shame from the standpoint that really this particular passage and what it says and what it means is so desperately needed in everyday life. And so we're just making our way through this particular chapter. And I made that we would study 1 Corinthians 13 because I'm just, I'm absolute, I just absolutely believe that when a person experiences real love, love in, in the way that it's in, supposed to be, is that it, it's so overwhelming, it's so convincing that it changes everything, everything. So Paul is writing the letter to the church at Corinth, and he's writing the letter because there are some issues that have occurred in the church. There's some arguing, there's some division in the church, there's some disagreements. And so Paul is writing this particular chapter in order to show them that there is a, a better way, that they would have a vision of, of something better, something, something different. Now, in the first week that we began our study of 1 Corinthians 13, we learned that the love is the essential ingredient. It doesn't matter if you have spiritual gifts and talents and abilities. It doesn't matter if, uh, of even if you can even participate in miraculous things that, that God is doing. Paul writes that if you don't have love, if you're lacking love, then everything that you're doing is vain. It's just worthless. And um, he it, says it's, it's, it's like a clanging cymbal. It's just nothing. Love is that most important ingredient. And then last week, we began making our way through the definition of love that Paul gives in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. And what I want you and I to do this morning is to continue that study of the definition of love. If you are a guest here at Downtown Church, one of the things that we do is we just stand together in that initial reading of God's Word. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as I begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You follow along. I'll begin in verse number 1, and we'll read to verse number 7. So again, Paul is speaking to the church, and he is showing them something better, showing them something different. He says in verse number 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of even of angels... But if I have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as even to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up even my own body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is that essential ingredient. And now he begins to give us the definition. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It, it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last week, we focused on those key words, 
that love does not envy or boast, that it's not arrogant or rude, it, is not, it, does not, it does not insist on its own way. And what you and I said as we focused on those particular words is that we said that love is, is self-forgetful. If you could just summarize what those words indicate is that love is self-forgetful. If you actually examine those words and what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that when you're truly loving someone, the focus is not so much on you, but it's on God and others. Love is self-forgetful. It doesn't seek its own will. It doesn't seek its own way, but it is self-forgetful. This morning, I want you and I to focus on these words, that love is patient. It's not irritable. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Think about those words. Think about that again. Love is not irritable. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love is patient. Love, love, love endures. If you think about those various words, the idea that it carries is of, of perseverance. I think what Paul is saying here is that real love, true love, it, it uh it doesn't get scared off. The true love doesn't quit. There's an old-fashioned term that uh, in some older translations of the Bible, and, and maybe you've heard the word long-suffering. This is the idea. The love doesn't quit. It endures. It perseveres. It, there's long-suffering. So what I want you and I to think about this morning is we're thinking about love. So we're thinking about downtown church and the kind of church that I believe that God wants us to be. Not only as a church, but what are the kind of Christians? How does God want us to live daily at home and where we work and as we go through the, the journey of life that we want to pour out a love that, that endures? In fact, that really is the, the title of our study this morning is Love That Endures. And you're going you're gonna to rejoice this morning because I only have two points to the sermon this morning. Just two points. The first is this. Love, true love, real love, endures the little things. The little things. Look at back at verse number five where it says there, love is not irritable. You ought to underline that phrase there. Love is not irritable. Irritable. It may be that your translation of the Bible says that love is not easily angered. We, uh, we have lots of uh, expressions that we use to describe this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, person that has a tendency to be irritable. Uh, sometimes we say, man, when I'm around her, I'm, I'm around her, I feel like I need to walk on eggshells, Right? Or if we talk about someone and, and maybe they're a bit irritable, they're a bit grumpy, and, and when, when we say, man, you must have woke up on the wrong side of the, the bed, right? And so there's these various expressions that we use to, to describe what Paul is talking about here. They, they're irritable. Uh, you have a tendency to have to walk on eggshells. They have a short fuse. 
And evidently, there were those in this church, the church in Corinth, we do know that there was a bit of hard-headedness among the members of the church in Corinth. They were kind of bullheaded, and they had a tendency to, to kind of get on one another's nerves. There were a little bit of, of irritability that was, that was going on, that was happening in that church. And, and I think the truth is that we all maybe deal with that from time to time. Maybe there are times in which we are irritable. Maybe there are times that we, you know, and I think the truth is we just don't, we don't take this serious enough because really what he basically says here is that when you are irritable, when you run out of patience with someone, maybe there are times, in fact, let me just put it this way. Have you ever been in a situation or maybe a day or a season in which any, everyone and everything just kind of gets on your nerves? Anyone else kind of maybe have that little testimony? And so often what we do is we say, man, I'm just having a bad day or man, I just need my first cup of coffee. But maybe there are those who say about us, man, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? You seem like I have a short fuse. You seem a bit irritated. And we often just kind of dismiss it, and we even say something like this, well, you know, that person or that coworker, they just, they just get on my last nerve. And we kind of just rationalize it or justify it. But here's what, Jesus, here's what Paul says in his word. He's teaching in the Scripture that when you display that, you're lacking love. You're just absolutely lacking love. And um, Paul says, that's the problem. The problem is, is that as a Christian, you're not to lack love or the lack of showing love to others. I think there's a great example, maybe a very practical example of this. You may want to take your Bible and find Mark's gospel in chapter 6. Mark's gospel in chapter 6 I'm going to be reading in verse 30 in a moment, but as you're finding Mark chapter 6, let me give you the context. Jesus has gathered his disciples, and he paired them up, and then he sent them out. He empowered them for them to go do ministry, to preach and speak of the kingdom. In fact, they actually had the power to heal and the power even to cast out demons. And so he, he sent them on a missionary journey. And then in Mark chapter 6, along verse number 30, they have returned to give the report. And it says this in verse number 30, and the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and all that they had taught. Verse number 31, and then he said to them, hey, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So Jesus paired them up. He sent them out on a missionary journey. And I mean, they were working and serving and teaching and, man, doing the miraculous. I mean, literally healing people, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And they're, they're pretty exhausted, right? Because, I mean, they've been, if you don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but they come back dire. They were, they were exhausted. And, and the Lord recognized that. He said, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee. Let, let's, find a, let's find a place where we can just rest, because people were everywhere, and they're always, by this time, Jesus is so famous. People are coming everywhere. And even Jesus himself, being fully man, he needed himself to rest. Well, then you fast forward just a couple of verses down to, I believe, verse number 34. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. I mean, they had, they had followed the boat around the shore and met them on the other side. And he had compassion on them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Can you imagine with the disciples? They need to rest. They need a vacation. And as soon as that boat starts arriving to shore, there is a multitude of people. And you can imagine the disciples. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you know, they wanted Jesus to kind of shoo them away. But Jesus had compassion and continued to teach them. And then when he grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. Lord, we're tired. Can, can you just send this crowd away? That's a, I mean, there's a lot of them. But he answered them, no, you give them something to eat. Lord, we're tired. We don't even want them here. You want them here. And now you're telling us to feed them? And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? That's eight months worth of wages. Lord, look around. There's no Walmart. There's no Publix. We're just going to reach in our tunics here and pull out eight months of wages to go buy food for everyone? I mean, you, you can sense here the irritability. They are irritated. They're tired. They're wore out. And now they have been tasked to do something that is impossible for them to do. They're, they're tired and they're hungry. They need a Snickers. Right about now is what they need. They're hangry. So you can kind of sense this irritability, right? Lord, can you just send them away? And then he gives them this assignment. Now, what do, we, what do we learn from this story in Mark chapter 6 about irritability? Well, number one, we learn who gets irritated, right? Now, who gets irritated? All of us. Everyone. Everyone gets irritated. And I would say this, including those people who serve the Lord. And Pastor David would tell you that oftentimes it's those of us who were involved in church and ministry. If you've ever volunteered in the nursery or children's ministry or student ministry or whatever it may be. I mean, if you've ever just tried to serve the Lord, I mean, when you're trying to deal with people, I mean, you can get irritated very, very quickly, right? I mean, just because people want more and more and more. And people can make us cranky. Who gets irritated? All of us. Even those of us who... Try to serve the Lord, just as the disciples were. Second lesson we learned. When are we most likely to get irritated? When we're tired? When we just come from a, a mission trip? Uh, when we're exhausted, when we've had a long day, a long trip, a long journey? When you're tired, when you're hungry? It's kind of funny, isn't it, that how, we, how our physical is connected to our patience. Here's the third lesson. We learn how we treat others when we're irritable. How do we tend to treat people when we're irritable? We don't want them around. We want to get rid of them. We just, I mean, we just kind of find them annoying, right? We just don't want them around. But, but here's, here's the deal. And here's what I would confess to you this morning. I find myself, I, I get there are times that my wife Kathy would tell you that I get irritated. And there's generally a couple of different situations that I'm probably more vulnerable in being irritated. Um, Kathy would tell you that I have a tendency to speed when I drive. 
right? I drive too fast. I, I like to refer to it as that I drive with a sense of urgency, all right? I just have a tendency to drive with a sense of urgency. And then if I get behind someone who is in the left lane that is designated for those of us who drive with a sense of urgency and they have a tendency to drive below the speed limit, I find myself to get very, very irritated. It happened just earlier this week. I was uh, at the corner of uh, Hillcrest and Cottage Hill, and I was turning, and there was this car in front of me who was just barely going in my lane until I just ultimately, ultimately finally moved over, and I looked over because when I was behind them, I was looking. I couldn't even see the person, and there was a person as I passed them. They had to be at least 110, 112 years old, could barely, I don't think, could see over the steering wheel. That irritates me. If I need to contact someone about a product or something and I have to call a number, and then there's a prompt to push another number, then a prompt to push another number, and a prompt to push another number, and I have to go about 10 of those till I finally get to talk to someone who lives in another country who has no idea about the product or the situation that I'm dealing with. And I want to crawl through that telephone and choke them. Can anyone else give a witness, give a testimony? Amen. I'm just glad I'm not by myself. The truth is, is that Paul says, as a Christian, as a believer, although I may justify it, and so you're driving in the wrong lane, you probably have no business driving at all, why are you answering the phone for this company when you have no idea what's going on? The truth of the matter is when I lack love, irritability is showing a lack of love. I mean, when I'm irritable, I am not loving. I'm not loving. And so I think what I want us to do, and I think what Paul wants us to do, is stop and think about that. And I'm not trying to lay some guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. But I think that what you and I have to do is ask ourselves, do I have a tendency at different times to be irritable, to show a lack of love? Because if we can at least recognize it, then we can actually then see that we need it. So think about how Jesus responded. He's tired. He's hungry. Jesus was fully man. He was tired. He was hungry, but he wasn't cranky. And he was human. The root of the disciples' crankiness was this. They were confronted with a problem that they felt was beyond them, right? Jesus, it's late. We're all tired. We're all hungry. Can you just tell them to leave? To which Jesus says, no, why don't you feed them? Well, how in the world do you expect us to do that? They're irritated because they're confronted with something that they see it's impossible for them to do. So here's the, here's the assignment this week. Whether you get behind someone on Cottage Hill Road or Airport Boulevard, or whether it's a coworker, or whether it's someone at home that irritates you. Take a time out. 
You see, Jesus went to the Father. You see, in this instance, we see this complete dependency upon the Father to which God, the Lord Jesus prayed, Father, we need you to feed these people. And so I would just say to you that this week when we're confronted with this irritability, remember Mark chapter 6 and maybe pray something like this, Lord, I'm going to need you to love them through me. Because your love is bigger than me and bigger than this issue. And I need you to pour into me love. You see, what I've been trying to do more recently, just as we begin this study, is that when I get behind that person, Pastor David, or that person who just wears me out, just worries me, worries me, irritates me, is that I say, you know, I wonder, I wonder, what if I loved them? What if I just loved them? And so, Lord, I don't know if I can, but, Lord, I need you because your love is bigger. Your love is greater. I need you to love them through me. You see, I believe that if we'll allow him and we yield ourselves and surrender to him, he can help us to love and to endure the small things. But not just the small things. Love endures the big things. Notice what it says here in verse number seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Another translation renders it love perseveres. You see, for some of you, what you're facing is not little annoyances. It's bigger. In fact, it may be harmful. There are some of you that perhaps have a home situation in which you are maybe experiencing or facing verbal abuse. Maybe where you work, there is a, it's a hostile environment for you and for, for you to be a Christian. Maybe where you attend school, maybe there's some mocking that takes place. So really for you and your particular situation, it's bigger than the little annoyances. It's bigger than that. It's, it's greater than that. And really the ultimate question that you probably have for me this morning is this, Alan, how do I not hate those who mistreat me? How do I not hate them? And really the best answer that I can give you, and it's going to sound like a Sunday answer, a, a church answer, and, and, and I don't want you to dismiss it or take it lightly, but if you were to say to me, Pastor, if you would see what I have to go through, how can I not hate those that are doing this to me. And my answer to you is going to sound simple, but listen carefully, is to look to Jesus. It's to look to Jesus. Now, Alan, what do you mean look to Jesus? Jesus was fully man, fully God, but he was arrested and taken through this, this mockery of a trial. He was spit upon repeatedly which is this universal, this cultural sign of worthlessness and disdain. He was beaten. I mean, he, he endured physical pain. And then he was forced to take this cross and carry it about a mile, a mile and a half, stripped of his clothing, and then lifted up and hung on that cross, nailed to it. 
stripped of his clothing, and the place of crucifixion was at a crossroads. All this traffic, people going in and out of Jerusalem. So it was a, it was shameful. It was a place of this crucifixion. It was humili- It was humiliating. And Jesus endured of that. And there were many people who saw him. Many people saw who, what had happened to him. And what did he do? For those that, were, those that were mocking him around the cross, he prayed for them. He actually prayed for them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for them. And there's only one way that you and I can can explain that he did that, and that's love. Love. Jesus was so filled with the love of God and so filled with love for people, for us, that he was able to endure the worst possible conditions. And here's the truth. If we're connected with Jesus, we can endure too. And we can love in places that we never thought we could love. It is us depending upon him and allowing him to love through us. One, one last verse and we're done. First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Now I want us to focus back on verse number 20. But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing. Let me give you a very literal translation. If you're suffering for doing good and you endure, that's grace. That's the grace of God. That if you can suffer for doing good and you endure that, that is grace. That is the grace of God in you and through you. So as you, as you trust in Jesus and you focus on him, and you allow the love, right? When you allow his love to, to flow through you, then you're going to be able to, to endure the little things, and you're going to be able to endure the big, crushing things. This was um, several years ago when I read about this couple in Odessa, Texas, And their son, Nate, who was 16 years old, was killed by a drunk driver. And um, they, they of course, mourned over the loss of their son, 16 years old, just his old life ahead of him. He was killed by a driver who was not only drunk, but, but on drugs. And he was only like, if I remember correctly, like 17 years old. He was young. So here's what happened. I saw this story on like Dateline or 2020, one of those stories a few years ago. And the reason they did this story is because this, this mom and this dad who lost their son tragically, 
They learned the story of the young man who was driving the car, who killed their son. And they learned of his background. And he was basically homeless. He was basically rejected as a, as a kid. And the story was about them because they actually brought him into their home. They forgave him. They brought him into their home. And they actually invited him for dinner. And they asked him to sit where their son would normally sit. And they began to care for him. They didn't officially adopt him, but they kind of, they kind of adopted him. And I remember watching this story. And it was about the time that one of our sons was about that same age, about 16, 17 years old. And I thought to myself, there is no way I could ever do that. How, how in the world can they do that? Now, they were Christians, and that's how they, they, they gave credit to being able to do that. But I thought to myself, I, I don't know if I could do that, if someone would take the life of my son, to bring him into my home and have him sit where my son sat, at his place at the table, and forgive him and treat him as, as a child, as one of my children. Let me see what the Lord did. Several days of me just thinking about that. I mean, I'm a pastor. I ought to be willing to forgive, but I just couldn't. Until I felt like it was a nudging of the Holy Spirit that said, you're not the father to forgive the one who killed the son. You're the drunk driver. You're the one who killed my son. You see, I'm not, I'm not the dad. I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who was forgiven by the Father, who was adopted into the Father's family, treated as a child of God, and even given a seat at the table. So how do we, how do we love and how do we endure and how do we forgive? We love because he first loved us. And even when we feel like it's impossible for us to love, we depend on the Lord and we say, Jesus, we need you. Your love is greater. Your love is bigger. And so, Lord, I need you to fill my heart with your love so that you love them through me. Amen. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and they're going to lead us in prayer lead us in worship, and I want us to consider, because I do trust that there are some of you here this morning that are very much like me. There are certain people, there are certain circumstances that cause me to get very, very irritable. And there are others of you here this morning that, that are needing to endure something much bigger, much greater. And I want you to hear my voice very clearly. I am not saying that you should remain in, in an abusive relationship, an abusive situation. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that there are times in which we are greatly mistreated and we have no out. So how do we not hate? And how do we endure? How do we love? 
we look at the cross. We look to Jesus. Because as a man, he endured. And he loved. And that same love is available to you and it's available to me. So I'm going to pray for us. And then after I pray, we're going to stand and have a couple of our pastors here. And they'd love to pray with you. The altar is open for you to come and pray. You can kneel and pray right where you are. Your chair can become an altar. But I think for probably most of us this morning, we probably need to yield ourselves. We probably don't need to dismiss or try to justify our irritability, our lack of love. But we need to confront it. We need to see it for what it is. And we need to yield ourselves to the Lord. Because when we're irritable, we're not loving. And we're commanded as his people to love. And real love, true love, it it endures. Stand with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, in these next moments, as we worship, I pray that you find us obedient. I pray for courage for these across the room that need to trust Christ to begin a journey of faith by giving their life and all of who they are to you. And Lord, for those of us who, who maybe for much of our lives have just tried to dismiss or rationalize those times that we just display no love and we explain it away. Lord, you've called us to love. You've commanded us to love. You've actually given us the ability to love. So Lord, help us to yield ourselves to you today to confess our sin and ask you to help us. So have your way in these moments, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.